All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're back for another Boca Podcast episode. You're hearing the excitement in my voice because I'm I'm legitimately, I'm geeking out, really. I'm super excited to have Jamena Whitehead on the show with me today. Jamena, thank you for making time for all of us. Oh, no problem. This is an absolute honor for me, so thank you for allowing me to come on the podcast and and, and share a little bit. So I'm excited. Well, no, it's, it's our privilege, really. And and I have to, of course, give context for our listeners. You and I, Jimena, were having a conversation recently on Instagram, just DM, DMing back and forth. And I didn't know, aside from being a photographer, and we're going to talk about your photography business, but you were actually involved in competitive bodybuilding for some time. Yep. And I, I was just, I was super impressed by that. And then naturally, I wanted to talk about it a little bit. And, I, and then, of course, we got to conversation about, well, maybe we could bring this to the podcast. And, and we're not going to try to encourage everybody to become bodybuilders, but I did want to, <laughs> to kind of pick your brain a little bit about what you've learned around the topics of being healthy and, and strong um, and make it relevant, of course, for photography business owners. So that's what we're going to do a little bit later. Uh, awesome. I, I really appreciate you coming on to, to do that. But let's let's actually start with your photography business. And for everybody listening in, you can actually see Jamenda's website. If you go over to, to jgracedphotography.com, and we'll link to this in the show notes, but it's just like it sounds. And um, same thing on Instagram. We'll also link to that. Talk to me a little bit about your brand position as a photographer. Uh, I know on your Instagram profile, it says Cleveland and Atlanta. Do you kind of move back and forth between those markets? Yeah, so I'm, I'm originally born and raised um, in Atlanta, Georgia, um, and then about three years ago, moved to Cleveland for work, um, and that's actually kind of when I decided to start my business. Um, so I've kind of been, you know, floating back and forth between there, um, and now with the pandemic being what it is, I'm actually in Atlanta for the time being. Okay. I'm just kind of working remote and waiting to see if they're going to have us um, go back, you know, back into the office. So before the time being, yeah, I definitely, you know, have clients in both Cleveland and Atlanta. So what type of work are you involved in in addition to photography? Um, so I work for American Greetings, the greeting card company. Yeah. Um, so I work in their e-commerce division, um, looking at a lot of their ordering, you know, purchase orders that come in, making sure those are flowing through and handling any issues that may arise with that, that space. So kind of logistics management of sorts. Mm-hmm. Okay. Exactly. Have you been doing that for a while? Yeah, I've been with American Greetings for about six years. Um, so it's been a really good, really good ride. I started out in Atlanta with them. And like I said, just kind of moved through the company yeah. and now many commerce, you know, that's a really grown market. So, um, it's been exciting to kind of be in that space and, and as it's learning and growing and booming, just kind of be there for the ride and pick up and learn what I can along with that. So, so I, I'm to that point, I'm just curious and I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but I'm having been in logistics now for the time, for as long as you have and, and looking at workflow and, figuring out how to make things work as smoothly as possible. Have you been able to take some of those principles and apply it to the way that you run your photography business? Yes. Um, definitely just making sure that I have a system in place to get from point A to point B yeah. um, and then constantly looking back. You know, I think that's one of the things that we do in our business. You know, what are those big things that we need to change or optimize? Mm. Um, so it's really caused me to take a step back and look at my business and kind of see, um, you know, what my workflows are doing, and how I can improve those. So it's definitely helped in that way. So when you have conversations with photographers, most most of us are not super kind of workflow and systems oriented, right? In fact, that's part of the reason we spend so much time here at the podcast talking about it because it's it's not a sexy topic, and and most don't lean in that direction, but yet it affects our businesses so just at such a large scale. I mean, right. the, the freedom, the flexibility that we can have as business owners is maximized via systems and efficient right. workflows. So 
what are what are some things that you've heard in conversation with other photographers that kind of make you tense up a little bit that that you feel like I mean if you just throw one or two ideas out there that you feel like photographers could change the way they're working a little bit for the sake of more efficiency does anything come to, come to mind um, I mainly think about just the interaction I have with my clients I think that was one of the first legit workflows that I put in place for my business so okay. from the time that um, I'm reaching out to contact them to the time that I finished um, you know servicing them the day of for their photo to the time that I deliver their gallery, just making sure I have consistent communication, um, you know, ensuring that, um, you know, I know those steps myself and, and finding ways to automate that, I think, even within it. Um, so I use the, the HoneyBook um, customer management system. Yeah. Um, and they have now added those workflows in there. So my next project is to really implement that workflow process that they have to help me, you know, better communicate with my clients, better keep up with where I am in our process and, and just make sure that we keep that workflow going from start to finish. Okay. So. That that's, and that's huge. And, you know, HoneyBook has come up a number of times on the show. And, um, certainly from my experience, having looked at CRM options on the market last time I did anyway, one of the things I loved about HoneyBook is it's kind of simplicity and it's, and it's mm-hmm. user interface because you can get, for example, I, I and this is totally going to make me look like the the ultimate nerd, but I've spent quite a bit of time, and I've mentioned this in the podcast, looking for kind of the ideal task and project management software previously. Mm-hmm. I, I've been using Todoist now. It's T-O-D-O-I-S-T for, for years at this point. But you can spend time looking through all these options. And one of the things that is problematic, I think, at the end of the day, while these tools could potentially help you save time, the last thing you want is so many different moving parts that you just get lost in it. You can't just get right. the job done. And I love that right. HoneyBook seems to have kind of simplified the user interface, user experience toward that end. So I, that's a wonderful thing. Since we're on this topic, I'm, I know I'm asking questions kind of out of order here. Oh, no but problem. Talk to me a little bit about time management. I mean, are some of these principles that you already talked about, is that is that kind of what enables you to manage your time more efficiently, more wisely? Is there another idea that comes to mind? Yeah. So time blocking and my to-do list are my saving grace. Um, when it comes to like my day to day, I have like checklists for work. Then I have smaller checklists within that work checklist. Um, and if I find my day kind of getting off track, I tend to just say, stop, let's make a checklist of the things we need to do right now. Like what are those priorities? Okay. Um, so I definitely love off that. Um, and then time blocking has been become really big for me recently. Um, just making sure that I am finishing my tasks within a certain time. So I don't feel like I'm not wasting time, but maybe procrastinating or taking my time, getting something done, knowing that I have to get stuff done, um, you know, within a certain time period has really kind of helped me stay on track. And when I look back, I'm like, huh, I got a lot done in those two hours where normally it might take, you know, the five or six because I'm just kind of, you know, wasting my time. And I haven't really set up that time around, you know, how long I have to do this particular project, how long it's going to take me and then finishing it up. So I, I would say those two things are big for me. That With that time blocking, I don't know about you, but I can at times get carried away with whatever the thing is that I'm, I'm working on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then I find myself having spent you know, hours and hours on that thing, maybe in some cases. And then I, I get frustrated with, with myself after the fact because I know that it took me away from working on you know, the other tasks and other priorities right. that are also on my list. And right. I can't afford to do that. It's certainly not right. on a consistent basis, having my hands in so many different things. So um, that, have you had similar experiences? And what do your, to that end, what do those so-called cutoffs look like? Do you work in hour time blocks, couple hour time blocks? 
Right. So I actually have the opposite problem. I wish I could just stay on something like forever and ever. Okay. Mine is more so what I might get distracted by something. So oh, okay. it might be the phone or somebody walking in or I have an email come through. Yeah. And when I know it's like, hey, I have this particular thing that I have to get done within this time period. It helps me stay focused and um, so that I don't get distracted by those other things. And I, I'm typically working like an hour, 30 minutes to an hour time blocks. Yes. Um, but keeping those distractions away and, and having that time already set kind of helps me stay focused and get things done. Do you set up like a timer or do you just looking at the clock? No, just kind of looking at the clock. Yeah. Okay. Um, cause you know, and I give myself that grace if I'm going a little bit over, that's okay. You know, but I got the job done and now sure. I can move on to the next thing. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's worked pretty well. Um, and definitely on the weekends cause I, I, I know, I, I don't know about everybody else. I like to kind of sleep in. So once I'm up, I'm like, all right, I have things I have to do within, you know, these particular hour time blocks. So, and then with the to do list uh, or mm-hmm. project manager or task manager, wait, what software are you using for that? Or are you using piece of paper? Piece of paper. So I just have my pad there. And, um, so every week I have, um, you know, weekly things that always have to be done. So those immediately make the list. Um, then I have another list of things that might be in progress that those kind of interchange in and out each week. Okay. Um, and then at the bottom of that list, I might have like my big things is what I call it. Big things that I need to be just kind of being mindful of monitoring, or there's somewhere in the process of maybe having specific tasks added to that, um, that other weekly list. Um, and so I'm just kind of blocking out my, I guess my tasks so that it's not one long list that I have to get done. Yes, yes. Um, and then with that, I can go in and kind of prioritize which ones need to be done, which what needs to be followed up with. Um, and then, like I said, if I find myself really distracted or I feel like I'm not getting anything done, I just take a minute, whether there are two or three things off this list I need to get done within the next two or three hours. And that kind of helps recenter me, bring me back, and allows me to kind of focus on what I need to get done in that moment. All right. So I want to transition back to what's normally our first question. And let's talk about brand position. We were, we were going to talk about your photography business. And I'm actually on your Instagram page. Uh, and it says, grace my lens and I'll grace your memories. Would that be the summation of your brand position? Or what is your brand position in the Cleveland Atlanta markets? Yeah. So that's definitely kind of like the, the summation of it. Um, but it's this idea that like I've been graced um, with the opportunities I've had in life. I've been graced to find what I'm passionate about and what I want to do. Um, and so I'm absolutely honored whenever, you know, clients choose me as a photographer Mm. and they come and grace my lens. Um, and then on the flip side of that, um, I want to give out a little bit of that grace, you know, give that back in some way. Um, and so I want that time that we spend together to be grace. So whether it's making you feel really comfortable in front of the lens or really hyping you up during that moment, um, you know, while we're, I'm having those, you know, your photographs taken, um, and, or it might just be finding some little way to give you something, um, that you weren't expecting, um, as a way to kind of grace you and grace our time together. So, talk to me about that word grace because my my understanding of it, having come from a, a very religious background, it mm-hmm. it centers around religious concepts or religious yep. principle. But is that the case in, in in this scenario, or do you use do you do you find the word define the word in a little bit of a different way? Yep. No. So it's it's I guess it's pretty much the same. It's almost like a play on words. So I, I look at the word grace as something that um, a gift that you don't deserve, right? Um, and so we're, we're graced with photography. We may not have had it years ago. We have it now. It's a gift. We're graced with these memories and this time that we get to spend with other people mm. um, that we might not otherwise get. Mm-hmm. Um, and I consider myself to be in a almost like a constant state of grace. Yes. Um, so being able to give that back and have those interactions with other people is just my way of being able to you know share what I've been given and, and give it back. So. 
that's an interesting, and it, we, this could be a, a deep, deep hole we could jump into, but um, <laughs> uh, just for the sake of conversation, I, I love, first of all, I have a lot of respect for your attitude as it relates to this idea of grace. You, know, you talk about grace as something that we don't deserve. Mm-hmm. Um, and that having that kind of mindset in general, outside of basic human rights, I, I think our American culture has gotten, at least in years past, and I think even now in some ways, uh, a little obsessed with this idea that kind of everything is a right. And, right. and I, I just, I don't personally subscribe to that mentality. And I think part of what that enables for me is a certain amount of gratitude and an underlying mm-hmm. gratitude for what I have, certainly as you were talking about for the, for the clients that I have the opportunity to work with. Is, is that kind of what you're getting at there? Yep. Just the idea of not taking any of this for granted. And it's, it's definitely a gift um, that we get to do any of this you yeah. know, at, at a high, higher level. So. Oh, that's huge. And and I, I think that all of us, first of all, it's a great reminder and all of us could stand to continue to, to keep that as a focus because it would not only, I think, transform our day-to-day existence, uh, mm-hmm. living that state of gratitude, but certainly it would also translate to an incredible client experience as well because now we're out of gratitude. We're also trying to create an experience for our clients, which is to go above and beyond what was expected, exactly. uh, which is super powerful. And this is naturally a great segue to the next question, uh, <laughs> which is about client experiences. Is that what your client experience centers around? Or is there another big yep. idea at play? Yep. No. So it's really just finding some little way to give you something you weren't expecting or something that you didn't deserve. Um, for example, I recently um, onboarded my, my sister's getting married. Um, and so I recently onboarded her event planner or coordinator for the day um, as one of my brides. So she found my work. It's like, oh my gosh, I'd love to work with you. Um, she's also, you know, in the wedding industry. And so she reached out and just said, hey, you know, would you mind sitting down with me? I have HoneyBook. You, I see you have HoneyBook. I love what you've done. Can we just sit down and go through it? So, you know, she's now a client of mine. I'm also able to build this relationship with this person um, and then give her a little something that she might not have been expecting. And yeah. I'm not going to charge her for it. Yeah. Um, but it's just that way that I can, you know, go out of my way, help her with something that she wasn't expecting and increase that, you know, that interaction between us, increase that relationship. I, I th- it's interesting how even small things like that make a massive difference. I actually mm-hmm. called uh, a vendor or a company, I'll, I'll say a third party company just the other day I was dealing with an issue and, First of all, they they got on the phone relatively quickly, and it's a massive, massive company, so it, it's mm-hmm. kind of surprising. They got on the phone right. relatively quickly, and then the person on the phone wasn't rushed. They they took their time in conversation with me, right. and we I don't know, we were probably on the phone for maybe 20, 30 minutes, um, uh-huh. which, again, is way more time as well than I would expect from a such a large company. But this guy was so chill, so laid back, and seemingly genuinely interested in actually helping me out. And it's yep. funny how even that, I mean, unfortunately in some cases, but even that feels like something extra. But I think it's also a good reminder too, in that if we are willing to do, just go the slightly extra mile, yep. it, it can make a massive difference in the customer experience. It's a little bit more than what they were expecting, but even that little more can just bring a smile to their face. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's, and I find it's never the same for every client. So, you know, it may be a couple extra images here or just making you feel really special during our session there. But I'm, I'm, I'm constantly trying to look for those ways to do that um, where they might not be expecting it. That's cool. All right. Well, we're going to change gears here again and actually go back to time management because I didn't follow up my question about time management with the question that I ask a lot here on the podcast, which has to do with delegation. Um, or outsourcing. And you know, it's a funny thing, actually, for everybody listening in, you're probably used to using the word outsourcing specifically as it relates to editing 
um, it, we somehow almost made those words the same. Outsourcing just automatically meant outsourcing editing over the years in our photography industry. But outsourcing as a general concept really is delegation, right? We're handing a particular right. task or set of tasks off to someone else, an individual, another company, whoever it might be, uh, to handle that work for us. Is delegation a concept, a principle that you've implemented in your business? And, and have you had any success with it? Um, actually, yes. So I actually have um, used the photographer's edit. Oh, nice. Shout out. Yeah. <laughs> Small plug there. Um, for some weddings that I had last year um, and going, you know, coming into this year into wedding season, yeah. I plan to again, um, had a really great experience with you guys. And awesome. It completely took the pressure off of me as I was kind of running into a deadline with one of my brides. And she was like, when will it be done? And I was like, let me get this out, you know. Send it to you guys, got it back within like, I think a week, maybe a week and a half tops. Um, And it saved me so much time. So um, we'll definitely be using you guys again. So that's, that's that one place where I'm like, I will probably be outsourcing more of my editing. Oh, that's cool. Um, This is totally unexpected that we go here. But (laughs) since we're here, for everybody listening in, photographersedit.com. If you don't delegate or outsource your editing, go check it out. Okay, keep going, keep going. (laughs) Um, And then the other piece for me as I'm, I'm... in the process of growing and scaling my business. And yeah. I have learned very quickly, I am not for the books and the numbers and, and all of that, all of the things um, around the finance piece. So I'm definitely looking into, you know, as I'm growing, how can I find someone to just make sure that that's taken care of for me? Um, I want to go out and shoot and enjoy my clients yep. and have those interactions yep. and, and, you know, not be so worried about the back end. Yep. Um, so I'm definitely, as I go into this year um, and you know, looking to grow, um, to find those resources where I can kind of delegate that to someone else. So, and in an ideal world, you wouldn't just find somebody that's a bookkeeper, but an accountant, someone that can can lend uh, some suggestions, some some ideas as to how to right. look at the numbers. It's super powerful. I'm I'm very very much with you. Despite the the work that I've done to improve my my mentality uh, and approach to not just finances but numbers in general over the years, and it certainly has had its its. Uh, payoff. I, I still am with you, Jamenda, in the sense that I, I don't naturally lean that way. And so, mm-hmm. um, and, and in fact, in many cases, there's a certain amount of apprehension or fear associated with it. So yep. having somebody on my side who can help kind of guide me through that and give me insight um, and help me make the best choices possible. And, and of course, do the, the obvious things, which would be to you know find, find all the write-offs and so forth. That makes a big difference. So I, I really hope that you can find somebody helpful like that. And, and for anybody who's in the Cleveland or Atlanta area that might have a, a reference, <laughs> make sure you DM Jamenda and, and yes. make the suggestion because that, that'll, be, that'll be huge. I'm, I'm, huge. I love that you're thinking about that. How long have you been in business, by the way, in your photography business? I'm going on four years now. Okay. Which is, and the reason I ask, or part of the reason I ask anyway, is that I think back, and I've mentioned this before in the podcast, but if, if there was one thing that I wish I had approached differently as a photography business owner, and certainly early on, kind of like you, I mean, only four years in, it's great that you're thinking about this. Um, it would be to have proactively gotten help and with mm-hmm. with the financial piece of it because yeah. it just wasn't a strength. I didn't have training there. Um, okay. My upbringing, my dad tried to help kind of form a a certain perspective around finances, but they certainly didn't have much money. In fact, when when I got married um, at the, the young age of twenty. My mm-hmm. parents paid six hundred bucks for the wedding photographer, and to them, that was a that was a lot of money. It's a lot, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's that's kind of the world that I came from. So you know, I start getting these checks for a thousand, two thousand, three thousand, four thousand, five, six, seven thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. That's such a foreign concept to me. What do I do with that? How do I manage it? How much do I set aside for taxes? And then, right. and then not only that, as I ideally am inputting numbers into QuickBooks. 
or comparable software? How do I look at those numbers and make intelligent decisions for my business? Like that kind of stuff. Oh, if, if I had only known yep. early on, I'd be in a much, much different place. Um, certainly much sooner anyway than, than what I was ultimately able to achieve. So I, I love that you're doing that. I highly encourage everybody to do the exact same thing. That makes a massive difference. Definitely. Um, I, w- I would say for me, I know my mom has always been really big on the business side of things okay. and I just didn't get those genes. I just didn't. So I, I have some general <laughs> principles, you know, that I understood that she did coming up yeah. um, with her own finances, but overall there's, there's so much more to it when it comes to running a, a business and becoming an entrepreneur. hundred percent, hundred percent. Look at the numbers, everybody look at the numbers. And again, yes. not just the finances, but look at the other data as well, whether it's analytics in your website, looking at yep. sources of business, looking at where the majority of your business revenue is coming from, uh, where the, the biggest expenses are, looking at the numbers, it, it just makes you a more intentional, more proactive, and just all around better business owner. Make sure you do it. Good reminder. Let's talk about books. Um, yes. Is there an impactful business or self-help book that has made an impact I guess I said impact twice now. It's made a big <laughs> difference in your life, whether as a business owner or, as just, a, or just an individual. Yeah, so I, um, I actually read The Power of Habit, I think it was about a year ago, Yeah. Um, by Greg, Greg Duhigg, at least the way you pronounce his last name. And it was just a really captivating read for me hearing about um, the different stories and movements that kind of occurred due to these little small moments in you know, from there to then how your mind kind of processes things and how it creates habits and how you can break those habit loops. Um, and it kind of just constantly comes up in my life as a reminder to say, you know, if I find myself drifting either off the beaten path from my habits that I, you know, want or intend to start and, and remain constant in my life, I have to be very aware of the things that may break those those patterns, may break those um, those loops so I can get back on track. Um, so I think for me, that's that's a book that's constantly coming to mind. I've shared stories with my sister and my brother, and they're like, we have no idea what you're talking about. Um, but just the the concepts from that book have just really helped me to kind of once again, if I stray, get back on track. If yep. I'm trying to form a new habit, um, these are the things I need to be mindful of. Just making me more aware of you know how my mind works and and how that impacts you know my day to day life. Even that's good. Yes, yeah, uh, like a system. Speaking of systems, a system that kind of keeps you in check. Mm-hmm. One of the things that, that makes a big difference for me in that regard is I have literally have my my list of values. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I should, I should know that number by now, but nine values on, I'm counting it here on the, the lock screen of my phone. And these are principles or ideas that I'm, I'm striving to, to live uh, and exude and, and demonstrate in my life consistently. Mm-hmm. And that it's nice to just have that front and center all the time as a kind of a check and balance, like you're talking about. This book, um, for everybody listening, and we'll link to it in the show notes at bocapodcast.com, The Power of Habit. Uh, by Charles Duhigg. It is it is an, a bit of an unusual name. It's hard to know exactly how maybe you pronounce <laughs> it, but The Power of Habit, Why We Do What We Do in Life and Business. And um, that's an interesting one. I don't think that's been brought up on the show before. So we'll, we'll put that oh. in the show notes for everybody. Yes, a good read. It was definitely, like I said, captivating. It wasn't just, oh, do these things. Just a lot of really great stories about how things got started because of these small actions uh. kind of all added up. Yep. Yep. Okay. Very cool. Yep. We're going to link to that in the show notes. And by the way, for everybody listening in, if you go to Boca, B-O-K-E-H, bookshelf.com, there's a resource that Haley put together for us some time ago that is, it's basically a collection of the most popular books that have been mentioned here on the podcast and well, coming up on, on close to 500 episodes. Make sure you go take advantage of that. If you're looking for a book, you can, you can check out the one that Jimena just mentioned. You can also go to bookabookshelf.com and check out the most popular recommendations there as well. 
let's get into our kind of our main focus today, which this title or the the title for this episode is likely to be something like how to build a stronger, healthier body. Um, Because, you know, at the end of the day, most of us probably aren't going to try to be bodybuilders, but (laughs) I still have to say, and I I don't remember exactly the words that I used in response, but when you first told me and then shared a picture, like it was a stage picture. In fact, I posted (laughs) it to my stories today of you competing as a bodybuilder. I was like, oh my, I was just, I was so impressed and then kind of intrigued and also excited ultimately to be able to have this conversation on the podcast. But I want to make it clear for everybody listening in, we're not setting some kind of expectation that everybody has to be a bodybuilder today. What I did want to do is pick Jamenda's mind and and wisdom and experience (laughs) um, and understand a little bit better what it means to to be stronger, to be healthier as photography business owners for the sake of our business and ultimately the longevity uh, of our personal lives as well. So before we get into the the details, the nitty gritty, talk to me, Jamenda, about how you even got into bodybuilding in the first place. Yeah, so um, I was a former college athlete. I played Division three basketball at Agnes Scott College. Um, and, you know, after graduating, I, I, I miss that competitiveness. I, I miss working for a goal, you yeah. know, having practice and, and just working on that skill or thing that, you know, I was going after. Um, so I tried a couple things. I, um, I think me and my siblings, we started um, going roller skating. So I did that for a while. No real goal in mind. You just kind of go roller skate. Um, and then from there, um, got into Muay Thai. So I trained for about really? three years. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Like just learning the art and, and being able to um, practice the skills and then, you know, get into sparring. Um, and I eventually, you know, wanted to actually have like a Muay Thai fight or a kickboxing fight. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm about five feet and maybe 20 pounds too light for most of the people who were getting matches at that time. So uh. I could never get... Um, a, a kickboxing fight. Okay. So then I was like, I need, I need something else. You know, this, you know, I couldn't work towards that, that ultimate goal in Muay Thai. And then I was introduced um, to one of my brother's friends. Um, and I've always kind of worked out, you know, been in the weight room, had some general, you know, fitness, um, I think pretty much throughout my life. Um, and so one of my brother's friends um, was over at the house one day. Um, he saw me, I saw him. We were like, Oh, you look like you work out. He was like, yeah, I do. <laughs> um, he goes, Hey, come to the gym, you know, come train with me and my coach. Um, So I was like, okay, I'm thinking, you know, people go hang out at, not hang out at the gym, but you know, you go meet people, you work out a little bit and that's it. Well, he told his coach about me. So when I got in there that, that next week, um, we immediately started talking about, I heard you want to do a show. Do you want to, you know, you want to do this bodybuilding show? There's one coming up. And I immediately jumped on the opportunity um, to really just kind of push myself to that next level and see what I could do. And there was a new goal set. And I think that was what I've been missing was having something that I could work for and having this end goal um, that I could really like compete and, and work towards every day. So, so my next question was going to be about the motivation behind, you know, pushing yourself. I, I personally love extremes and I, I tend to function mm-hmm. in that way. And sometimes to my detriment, but yeah. I think it also, the flip side of that, it also enables me to push beyond, at least I would hope so beyond the, the so-called average or status quo. Mm-hmm. Um, my motivations come from a, you know, a certain place, but what the, the underlying motivation for you in this case was, that that desire for competition in the end? Yeah, so the desire for competition. And then once I got into it, seeing my body change yeah. and, and grow and get stronger, it made me want to chase that next goal, whether it was the rep count or the weight or, you know, seeing, um, you know, how chiseled I could get my body to look, you know, coming into that show. 
Um, so, I, and I tell people all the time, I've talked to other people who compete or just, you know, work out for anything. I'm cheering you on because it is so cool to see your body change. And I'm always telling people, I know we're not, you know, saying everybody needs to be a bodybuilder, sure. um, but I think everybody should make it to the stage at least once just to take your body, like you said, through that string to see what you can really do. Cause it really is about, you know, pushing your mind and, and pushing your body to that next step. So. Yes. Okay. But well, this is a, a beautiful segue to my next question because I, Again, well, I, I very much agree with you and, and on a very similar page. Uh, I know that not everyone is, and, and our culture mm-hmm. certainly isn't. And in fact, our culture is kind of a funny one, right? We, we tend to go to one extreme or the next. We, we tend to overreact in a way. Right. And, and then last year or two, like if, if you had posted a picture of yourself on stage at a bodybuilding competition, there's a good possibility that you could literally be called out for body shaming. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Meanwhile, someone who's obese and you know lauded for, quote, just being themselves that that's like, that's become more normal. Now I I have to add this caveat and please everybody hear me on on this because I I think it's important that the moves that our culture has made in the direction of being more accepting and open-minded to, to all people, including different body types. But where do you think when it comes to specifically our bodies and taking care of our health, where is the the, the healthy balance? And and I, I understand this is opinion driven conversation, but I'd just love to get your take on it. Right. So I, I am a, a big believer of the idea that fitness is relative. It's all relative to what you're doing. As a bodybuilder, I cannot go out and run five miles. I don't mm. even want to, Nathan. Interesting. But okay. I cannot, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but my fitness abilities is, is relative to me getting on that stage, to me posing, to me being able to lift my weights. Whereas a person who's going out and running, you know, they're going out and doing that for the cardiovascular health. Um, they're running it so that they can increase their mile times, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, whereas a swimmer might be totally different. So that fitness is relative. And it's more so about finding what works for you when it comes to being fit. So that, that's kind of the way that I look at it. Um, but everybody should be doing something um, at the same time. Because the other thing that I, I kind of lean on is that your, your muscles are the framework for your body. And once you stop using them, you mm. lose them. Mm. Um, and especially, you know, I'm... I don't look 35, but I'm 35. Um, You're and I feel it. I, well, I, well, I've had two knee surgeries. So, yes, I've had um, three, knowing, so I know it. Yeah. I know so, what that's and, like. and exactly. So, knowing that um, my knees are already kind of at the disadvantage as sure. I'm getting older, it's very important and even more so for me to keep my legs and my, my quads and my hamstrings strong yep. so that as I continue to get older, I can continue to have a normal like quality of life in a sense. So that I won't have to get, you know, additional knee surgeries later on. So I'll be able to walk up and down the steps. Um, so I've even taken it kind of past just the competition, you know, mindset now, but to say in order for me to have the quality of life that I want, as I continue to get older, it's important that I do things now to help with that. So. Well, you mentioned the word fitness. And, and by the way, I also want to add the caveat here. Neither Jamena nor myself are, are, are professionals in any realm uh, it, related to this. This is just conversation. Right. So this is not meant to be professional advice. Um, but when, when you talk about the idea of, of fitness, um, you said fitness is, is relative. And certainly in the context of, of what you described, I, I would agree. Fitness, though, at a very base level, that, that's an interesting point of conversation because I, I think part of the reason why you know everything is just, quote, okay these days is people also seem to think that fitness is a 
just simply a subjective thing versus right. let's take a blood test and mm-hmm. look at the your, these various markers in your blood, right? There's no, mm-hmm. there's no, I feel this way, or I feel that way, though that can play in. At the end of the day, we're simply looking at data. Data right. really can't be argued with. It is, it is what it is. It's black and white. Looking at that at a, as a baseline and saying, okay, this is, this is good. This is not good. And, and making decisions based on actual information that is, that is objective, right? Right. Um, I, it's, I think the conversation gets convoluted a lot of times because people are just functioning based on, on emotion. Right. And as a result, their health is suffering on, on exactly. multiple levels. As right. a result, so in your mind, when you say fitness, is there kind of a, a baseline that you have in mind? I wouldn't say a baseline, um, but more so just the idea of just as I would work at anything else to make it better, I should also be keeping that in mind when it comes to my body. Hmm. So I need to find something that will allow me to work, practice, and keep those muscles moving just as I would if I'm going to become a singer or um, a writer. I'm going to flex those types of muscles to get better at it, to have longevity in whatever it is that I'm taking up. The same way I would do my body and kind of take care of this essentially temple, right, um, for the long run. It's more so the way that I think about it. Yeah. When you talk about the long run, it's an interesting thing. You know, when it comes to obesity, for example, I mean, it was mainstream in in the news that obesity was a significant factor in how people responded to COVID over the last year. Um, that that's, you can't argue regardless of how we feel and how confident we are in ourselves. That's just objective fact. And there are reasons Mm -hmm. for that again, associated with objective, scientific, data-driven, blood-driven information. Um, that can't be argued. And I wish there was a little bit more honest conversation around, and that's one of many topics to be clear, but around the topic of obesity or cardiovascular health, uh, and inflammation, internal inflammation, how that affects Mm -hmm. us over the long run. When you talk about long-term health, these are simple realities that regardless of our feelings are going to affect our body and, and a willingness and open-mindedness to learning a little bit about it for the sake of our long-term health. I think it's, it's super important. Uh, I don't want to stand on that soapbox too long, but I I just, (laughs) I I feel like we've, we've, it's good again, for the sake of conversation and our culture, acceptance, open-mindedness, it's good that we, in some ways anyway, that we've moved, we've kind of gone to the other extreme, but now I feel like we need to come back to a little bit healthier balance and let's have some honest conversation. That's not, you know, saying, Hey, you you, anybody listening out there need to do these certain things for the sake of long-term, your long-term, not just health, not just existence, but actually a happy existence uh, over the long run. Here are certain things that you need to do. And it's not, it's not a hit on you as an individual or a person. It's just, Hey, here's how your body functions. And if you keep doing these things, this is what's going to happen. I I, I hope that we all become a little bit more open-minded. We're able to set our egos aside and, and be open to that because it will make a difference. I'll leave it at that, Jamenda. I mean, we'll, we'll keep going that direction. But talk to me about this because I know that you're you're you competed in bodybuilding for a little bit. You're no longer doing that. What what does a routine workout routine look like for you now as a as a photographer? Oh, it's it's been great the past few months actually, um, due to the pandemic. So because I've been back in Atlanta, um, I've been able to kind of pick back up with my coach and work okay. out with him. Um, so I'm in the gym with him. I'm about four days a week now, um, strictly just lifting. Um, and then on the weekends, I try to get in maybe one or two days of cardio, no more than maybe 30 minutes a session. Um, but already within the past, I've been with him maybe the last two months. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen my body, we call it muscle memory, and, and my, my muscle memory has kind of kicked in. And yeah. I'm looking, I've definitely trimmed down a little bit more. Sure. Um, the muscles are 
definitely like a little bit more prominent than they were before. So it's been absolutely great kind of getting back in there and working with him. And, you know, as I've worked with him, I've learned even more um, as he's constantly flipping our workout program. That's cool. Um, So every day, you know, we're doing one to two body parts. So we come in and we may do um, chest and biceps one day, come back the next day, do back and shoulders. Um, but he's going to be, um, flipping either the reps that we're using, the weight that we're using, um, using time under tension methods, or, um, you know, we have to rep and max out. So he's always doing different things to kind of keep our minds guessing, um, which is something that if you're work, it's great if you're working out by yourself, but I think sometimes it's very easy to get into the mode of, I'm just going to do these three sets for this many reps, just like I did yesterday and your body quickly adapts to that and doesn't change. Interesting. Whereas I've, I've been back with my coach now for two months and because he's stressed my mind, stressed my body a little bit more than I've been able to, since, you know, I really haven't been competing. Um, I've immediately been able to see the changes in my body because of the different types of stressors that he's put on it um, in the weight room. So it's, it's been, I have absolutely loved it. It's been my, my, um, a bit of a, not a sacred space, but um, I guess a bit of a, that's, that's my time. Like I look yeah. forward to going to the gym every day. I make that time. That's part of that time blocking schedule. I'm shutting down from work, yep. you know, at four thirty, so I can go and hit the gym with my coach. And it, it has just made all the world a difference, even mentally. So we, you know, kind of going back to that, you know, baseline and things that you need in your life. Um, it, it's definitely helped. I think even just with the mental capacity as well, just being able to breathe and not worry about anything when I'm in the gym and really push my body in a way that hasn't been pushed. And then the level of clarity, you talk about the mental aspect, the mental piece of mm-hmm. it, the, the, the amount of clarity that you can bring to bear for your business, the sake of your yes. business and your life in general by, by exercising. I mean, it's kind of a trite word to use, but, um, by exercising, we'll just, we'll just use that word for now, uh, it is quite significant, you know, and, mm-hmm. and the, the amount of energy that you can maintain I and mean, diet plays yep. into this significantly as well, but the amount yep. of energy that you can maintain through the day, uh, I, I'm 41 personally. And. And frankly, and I, I joke that I'm like 14 in my head, but mm-hmm. and, and I certainly think that the mental therein, the, the mental piece plays a, a significant factor as well. But if I'm tired doing something or I'm a little bit slower or I can't quite lift this much weight or, you know, I'm, I'm back to playing soccer. I played soccer up in college and, and I'm back to playing soccer again. And if I'm slow or I'm not as quick or this or that, I'm not using the excuse that I'm quote old because I know I'm, I'm not certainly in the bigger mm-hmm. picture my my thought is oh i'm out of shape or i'm out of practice mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. what can i do to to work on to improve that it, it's it really is a mentality thing in the end i'm really glad right. that you've that you've highlighted that yeah. but to that end let, let's actually talk about um for everyone listening in if if they regardless of the fact that uh well i guess we're we're in february now and this this episode may come out in march but we're we're a little ways into the new year of course the, the typical thing to do i think this year it, it was a little bit different just because of covid yeah. affecting everything you didn't see uh-huh. as much posts about i'm going to do this uh-huh. uh, this year with my fitness but nonetheless i if if our listeners are saying, you know what, I, I I know I need to do something, but I don't know where to start. There's, you know, this this ad and and this book and this article and this person saying this and do that. I don't I, I don't know which one to choose. I just need something. Um, right. I, I'd love to maybe give our listeners a, a, a potential solution. And, and again, to reiterate what we said earlier, neither of us are professionals in this realm. We're just having conversation here. But a suggestion, an idea. What would the, the top five exercises? Um, that you'd recommend somebody do at least three times a week to get healthier, to get stronger, to build up cardiovascular strength? So 
the basics. And I, I think at some point we've all seen them or done them, you know, in gym class or something like that. But starting out, you know, thinking about lower body squats and lunges, you okay. don't need any equipment. You can use your body weight over time. You can find weights to pick up, whether that's your child or you have, you know, some dumbbells at the house. Um, but it doesn't have to be very, you know, complicated. I think people kind of overthink this idea of how, you know, how I need to be lifting or how I need to be doing things. Hmm. Um, so when it comes to just the lower body and thinking about the exercise, squats or lunges. Okay. So squats, let's start there. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure there are kind of different takes on this, but as far as how low you go down and this, as you pointed out, doesn't have to even be with weights. In fact, I've, I, having done reps before without weight, I know this can be a super effective exercise. Mm-hmm. How far do you actually recommend going down to, to begin with? 90 degrees. So it's so, a 90 degree mark. All right. Yep. Yep. So if you have like a little stool or chair, you can, and even if, you know, you can start above there, if you're not there yet, you could use your chair and just kind of stand right in front of the chair, squat down to your butt, just kind of hits the pad or hits the seat of the chair and stand back up. So it's, it's a starting point. Um, but it's something to, it's something that your muscles maybe haven't done in a while or haven't done consistently for reps. Sure. Um, so it's going to stress that muscle, right? Um, and then from there, if you can get down to 90, so constantly trying to work your mind to get to that next point or that next goal or to stress it in a different way. Where your your quads are basically level with the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, now, is there a reason that you wouldn't go past that? Is there, is there potential for injury with your knees or what's the thought process there? Yeah, so I think you have to th- think about your body. Um, so I know for me, I, like, we've had knee surgery, Nathan. Yes. Um, I'm probably not going past 90. I probably could. Um, but flexibility wise, okay. it's, it's never been something for me that I would do. Sure. Um, so I think a lot of it's also going to depend on your flexibility, um, and how low you can go. I know some people who go, you know, your butt all the way down to the ground and yeah. then they can sit in that position. That's not me. So whatever you're comfortable at, if, if it's just, you know, hitting the seat of that seat, or if it's, you know, being able to get down to 90 degrees, I think you're, you're doing good if you can get to that point. Okay. And then lunges, talk to me about that, what that motion looks like, especially for somebody who mm-hmm. isn't familiar. Gotcha. Um, so with the lunge, you can kind of start out with your feet shoulder width apart. Okay. Um, and then you're going to take, let's say your right leg and you're just going to step out in front of your, just take a step right out in front and then lower your back knee. Okay. Um, and that's basically like the, the lunge motion. And from there you can either, um, you're now down in that lunge position. You can bring your back foot up to meet your front foot. So that's coming out of the lunge motion. And then continue that movement with the left foot in front now and dropping the back knee. We call that more of like a walking lunge. Yeah, yeah. It or, is, it's, it's almost like an exaggerated walk, right? Like a drastically yes, exaggerated exactly, walk. Exactly, exactly. Or you could, um, you know, take that first step out, drop the back knee, come back up, and then just drop that knee back down. Um, and what that's going to do, it's going to stress that quad on the right knee a yes. little bit uh, more. Yes. So you're getting just that pump in that one leg. So we, we call them walking lunges or stationary lunges. You can even alternate that where you lunge out with your right leg and then push back, then lunge out with your left leg and push back um, just to kind of, once again, different ways that you can do the same movement, but your mind is going to have to adjust each time. So, and that's, that's, I think one of the biggest principles that my coach uses and that I use is just constantly trying to find ways to trick your mind so your body doesn't adapt and you continue uh, maintaining and growing or, you know, just kind of staying fit when it comes to that, those uh, movements. And these movements are working your quads, your hamstrings, mm-hmm. your, mm-hmm. your ass. Uh, and, yep. and with the lunges, the, the, the stability, I, I, I'm not super technical yes. with this stuff, but like the, the stability, yep. 
um, muscles, correct? Like if you're having to step out and then lower down with Mm -hmm. one leg in the back, one in the front, now you're having to work extra hard to balance and that's building strength and the stability for, for people like yourself and myself, Tremenda, Mm -hmm. with, with knee issues, it's super important. important. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So anything you can do to, to work your legs one at a time will definitely help as well because you're, you're always going to kind of be off balance. So one leg is always going to be dominant and the other one won't. Um, so if you can find a way to do those lunges alternating, it definitely helps in that way. Okay, cool. Yeah, this is this is great already. All right, so lower body squats, lunges. By the way, for those who are listening and kind of taking notes and putting together a plan for themselves, do you recommend a certain number of repetitions to begin with? And, and yep. I guess maybe just to add to that question, how do you or how would you recommend our listeners kind of, um, I guess, gradually scale upward after they get that start? Yep. So I would typically start out with maybe three sets of total lunges. And in each of those sets, you're going to have maybe 10 to 15 reps. Okay. So simple enough. 15. Yep. I, I love simple it. Enough. And then as you go forward, your body's going to adapt. And in a couple of days, or a couple of weeks, your body will be like, okay, I can do this with no problems. I know exactly how much energy I need to exert. Yep. And at that point, if it's really easy, once you get to the end, now let's find a way to make it harder. Whether that's um, instead of alternating my legs, I'm going to do all the lunges on my right leg first. Then I'm going to switch that up, all the lunges on the left leg next. Yep. Or I'm going to do the walking lunges, walk all the way down, walk all the way back. Or maybe I'm going to add weight. So I can still do the alternating lunges. Now I may just add five to 10 pound dumbbells in each hand yep. and do the weight that way. Or I'm going to hold my kit and do, you know, so there's, there's different ways to take that one motion and find ways to keep your mind guessing how you're going to do it, how you're going to execute it so we can continue to, to grow and adapt. Perfect. Okay. This is so good. All right. So we started with lower body squats, lunges. Uh, what's next? What, what comes next? Um, so then, you know, pushups, okay. it's, it's a great workout for, um, your shoulders, chest, and your arms in general. Um, you can start, you know, if you know how to do the regular pushups, start in the plank position, um, and just kind of lower your arms right back up. If you can't do it, you know, from that full plank position, you can start from your knees. So there's so many different ways that you can, you know, you don't have to do the full thing. You can work your way up again. Um, and then there's variations to the pushups. Um, you know, you can, um, you have a normal plank position, but if you put your body in like an, you can imagine like an A-frame where your butt's kind of in the air. Okay. Um, that's another way that you can actually do that pushup where now it's targeting more of your shoulders. Yeah, yeah. So you call this like an A-frame pushup. From that position, just hold a plank. So if you can't even do a push-up, get in that plank position and just hold it. It's going to work on strengthening, you know, the upper bodies and the arms and the shoulders in that way as well. And the core. Um, so that's another. Yep, the core is huge for the push-up. Oh, so it's definitely going to work on that. Yep. It really, I I think that's a that's a great place to start when if, if for somebody who can't do a push-up or maybe can only mm-hmm. do one or two, just being in that position, arms extended, whether yep. in that A-frame or, or just you know body level with the ground. Mm-hmm. arms extended and just staying in that position for, you know, try 20 seconds, um, yep. 30 seconds and build up from there and, and intentionally tighten your core that it is amazing. People think that pushups, you got to do, or rather sit-ups, you got to do sit-ups to, to get, to, you know, build up your abs and, and certainly they can play a role, but planks are just incredibly challenging yes. and ultimately so, a really, really powerful exercise. Right. The longest minute of your life is what I call it. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> That's now, what it feels like. Let me ask you about pushups because um, something that I've heard or read uh, over the years um, is about the the actual position in which you uh, put your, not so much where you put your hands with the push up, mm-hmm. but um, 
how you extend or don't extend your your elbows. So right. I think traditionally, I say traditionally and kind of in quotes, but in years past, it was commonplace, like even at school, right? When you were supposed to do exercises in PE or whatever, um, you did these push-ups, and your your elbows were kind of sticking out almost like at a 45 mm-hmm. degree angle from your body. And my understanding is that that can actually be detrimental to your shoulders. And so I've since, because I do push-ups regularly, I've since brought my my, sh- my elbows in um, mm-hmm. and do them almost parallel with my body and push that way. Do you know anything about this? Can you comment on it? Yeah. So I, I think, once again, it's all about knowing your body. Okay. So if you know you're prone to shoulder injuries, shoulder problems, I need to alter the way that I'm lifting. Okay. And um, the other principle that my, my coach really works off of and that I've adopted is there's always a different way to, to hit the muscle. It may not be that way. So people still do, you know, the, the 45 degree angle where the elbows are kind of out. They do the push-ups that way. Yeah. You can also bring them in really close. But what you start doing is you're hitting more of your tricep then. Got it. Whereas that wider stance is going to hit more of the chest and that, sure. the top of that shoulder. For sure. That front delt. Um, so I, once again, I think it really depends on. Um, you know, what your goal is and in, in knowing your body and what your body can and can't do, what your flexibility is in that moment. Speaking of flexibility too, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but um, one of the things I, I broke my wrist, fractured my wrist pretty badly playing soccer years ago. And so I don't, and, and actually crashed my, my motorcycle not too long yeah. ago as well. So I have oh some gosh. issues with my wrist. So instead of that typical position where my hands are splayed out, you know, resting flat on the ground, what I actually do is I'll use a dumbbell uh, or a set mm-hmm. of dumbbells and I'll just hold onto the dumbbells and push off of the, the dumbbells. Yep. Um, your, your thoughts on that as far as flexibility, those who may not have as much flexibility in their wrist. Yep. So I think that's perfectly fine. If, if you can't get it in that way, there's always another angle to kind of hit that muscle. So if you found that you can hold the dumbbells and do it, perfectly fine. You're still getting the movement in. You're still kind of targeting the muscles. It may just be at a different angle or a different part. Like sure. I said, if my arms are out wide, I might be hitting more of the chest and the shoulders. Whereas the closer I move in or maybe if I'm angling um, with my um, my wrists and my my hands are kind of pointed more towards the ground, it may just be hitting a different area um, in that region. Okay, fair enough. And then as far as kind of a buildup, I know you mentioned already starting in your knees. If you don't have a lot of upper body strength, you can start it in your knees. You could even just start with with a plank. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as far as repetitions, what would you recommend getting started and then working up to? So the same thing. You can start with the three sets of 10 to 15 reps. Okay. So if you can get 10 reps really easy, you should probably go ahead and go to 15. You know, if you can get 15 easy, you know, so it's, it's all about really just being aware of what your body can and can't do. Cause it's so easy for us to just be like, I'm just going to do my 15 reps and that's it. You yeah. could probably do more. And if you find yourself getting to that point, bump it up a little bit, give, give yourself a little bit of a challenge. But I would definitely say that, you know, three sets, 10 to 15 reps to start out um, is a great starting point. And then from there, see how you can play with the hand movements to make it a little more challenging. And speaking of, I know that it's easy doing a push up to kind of bounce, right? Like you, you mm-hmm. let yourself down, you just kind of bounce off the bottom and come back up yep. and, and moving really quickly like that. I feel like maybe the, the push up is compromised slightly. Do you recommend yeah. a particular, like a second or two down and up or how do you approach it? Um, I think it just depends on what your goal is in that moment. So if you're just trying to get the push ups in, um, if you need to bounce to start, that's a good starting point. Okay. But then as you get better at it, that's yet another way that you can kind of play with how challenging it's going to be. So instead of just allowing my, myself to bounce over time, yep. I may lower, you know, push up and then on a two second count, lower myself back down. Or I don't let my chest touch the floor on the way down. You know, that's another thing. If I need to push up yeah. and then come all the way back down. 
Um, so there's just so many different ways to kind of play with the movement itself um, to make it work for you. But the important thing is that you keep kind of building on it. So I'd, I'd say for me, I'm going to have like a pretty steady tempo where I'm just kind of I'm up and then I'm down and then I'm up and then I'm down. Sure. Um, whereas my coach might come in and say, I want a two second hold at the count. Nice. I mean, at the, at the top of the movement. Yep. Yep before you come down, you know, it makes, it's interesting. And, and again, I relatively limited knowledge, more of a hobbyist than anything. But, um, one of the things that, that I heard when it comes to developing strength, um, that, that plays a significant factor and it is time under contraction, right? So the, mm-hmm. the amount of time that we're spending with that muscle actually contracted or working. Yeah. And to that point, it's, it is like, for example, you take something like a pull up. I, I know that they're challenging. They can be certainly with lots of reps, but when I, when I see, um, those who are in, in CrossFit doing kipping pull-ups where they're just kind of yes. bouncing up and yep. down. I'm like, man, I, it, it would be really interesting <laughs> to me to see these same people do anywhere close to the same number of reps, but with a strict pull-up and, and right. we can take it a step further. And something that I used to do was, is to, to do like a five second count up and five second mm-hmm. count down. And you may only get five reps in, or you may only get exactly. 10 reps in, but if you're doing that, five seconds up, five seconds down. It is an incredible workout when you just take exactly. a little bit longer to do it. Yep. So, so many different ways to do it. It's all kind of based on what your goal is. Okay. So we, we've got lower body squats, lunges, upper body push-ups. What's the next exercise? Um, I would say just, you know, sit-ups or crunches. So work in that core area. Um, very important. Um, you kind of hit it a little bit when you're doing the push-up movement with that plank position. Um, but just really targeting that core area because it's going to not only support your your abs and the front side of your body, but also your back. Um, so anything you can do there. So sit-ups are a great way to do that, um, as well as crunches. So if you can't do the full sit-up, you can bring your knees up and just kind of bring your elbows to touch your knees to start. Um, if you can do the full sit-up, you know, laying completely out flat. Um, and you can use your arms to help raise you up to get into that, you know, to sit all the way up and then back. Um, and then as you progress, you can just, you know, use your core to help get you up. As those muscles begin, you know, getting better, better and stronger. Are there are there advantages to a a setup versus a crunch? How would you how would you compare those two? Right. So I'd say the setup is going to work more of all of your um, abdominal muscles. Yeah. Whereas the crunch tends to a lot of times only work like the top muscles. Mm. Um, so once again, that progression. If you can start with the crunches, then you can progress to the setup. Um, and get more of that. If you can't do um, the full setup, you're like, I want to do the crunches. I want to hit my lower um, abs as well. You can always do things like leg raises. Um, That's another good one to just kind of hit those lower ab muscles there where you're just laying on the floor, raise your legs up, not too high, maybe maybe a foot or two off the ground. Um, And then you can kind of keep it there and do like a little flutter or just raise them up and down to kind of hit those lower abs. Yep. You can get those, you can get that nice little, those muscles on kind of the, the lower abdomen that are almost like a V shape. You start mm-hmm. to do some leg raises and, and get those muscles built up. It's pretty wild right. actually. Right. Yeah. Okay. So we've got lower body squats, lunges, upper body, pushups, sit-ups and crunches. Um, what's, I know that you're going to share five different exercises. What's that fifth exercise? Um, so I'd say the fifth one would be tricep dips. Okay. Um, once again, you don't need any equipment. All you need is a chair, the side of your coffee table, your bed. Um, and basically what you're going to do there is you're going to stand in front of your chair, for example, and place the palms of your hand on the seat of the chair. So you're facing away from the chair, out from the chair, okay. and just have your palms there. And then you'll just lower yourself down using um, your arms and more specifically your triceps. Um, and you just, you're dipping down and then you're just 
pushing yourself back up in that chair um, to perform the tricep dip motion. Now, for somebody that, again, has flexibility issues with their with their wrist, is there an alternative that gets you yep. kind of comparable results? Yeah, so you can try different hand placements on the chair, whatever object you're using. So for me, especially, yeah, I, I have weaker wrists, so I don't like to always do it sometimes right behind me, but I might put my wrist out to the side if I can to yeah. hold on to the side of the chair versus right in front yeah. um, as another way to do it. Um, you could also take a dumbbell um, and take it over your head kind of behind you and kind of bend at the elbow and just kind of raise it back up there. Um, and that's going to hit that tricep muscle as well. So cool. now, simple exercises. But no, that, this is, this is great. I mean, and you know, here's the thing simply, I mean, I know, you know, this Jamena, but for everybody listening in and, and especially those who are like, Oh, I just, I, I'm not good at getting in there consistently. And then here I am, you know, however many years later and, and I've just kind of let myself go. What makes all the difference in the world for pretty much anything in life, at least that's, that's how I'm, what I've learned thus far in my 41 years here in the, in, in the world, um, is that small things consistently make a massive difference. So yes. if, if you can show up and do these five exercises, which you know, I would venture would take all of what, 20 minutes uh, to yeah. do, but you do it consistently, um, mm-hmm. that, and, and as I suggested earlier, three times a week, give your body a break in between, like for a day in between. It's, it's amazing the results that can come from doing something that seems simple as long as you show right. up and do it consistently. That, that makes all the difference yeah. in the world. That consistency is absolutely huge, definitely. Now, talk to us briefly, if you will, about cardio, because um, while there may be some cardiovascular benefit doing some of these exercises, your, your heart rate starts to go up. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, you, do you recommend a certain amount of cardio? And if so, what type? Yeah. Um, so to be absolutely honest with you, Nathan, I do not like cardio, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it is necessary. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, so I would say, you know, again, two, three days a week, if you can, um, and 30 minutes of the cardio of your choice um, is what I'm going to stress there. Because, okay. you know, if I go out and I have to run for 30 minutes outside, I'm not going to want to do it again the next day. Sure. Um, so I really stress that it's about finding, you know, the cardio, the type of cardio that you like. Whether that's, um, you know, I used to do Zumba, loved Zumba. It was great cardio um, or that, you know, maybe a dance class or yep. um, just going for that walk for 30 minutes. Sure. Right now, I love to do like the um, the elliptical that they have at Planet Fitness. Um, that's like my favorite cardio machine right now. That is um, so, that's so funny because it, it's yeah. that's the same for me, too, because it's oh, l- yeah. low impact. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I love the one that they had at Planet Fitness also, not only does it allow you, of course, to, to track the amount of time that you're on there, but you can also um, look at the power output, the wattage. Okay. And I'll talk about this here in a second, but it, it allows you to actually uh, track the amount of power output, which then means that you can very intentionally shoot for a certain amount, right? So instead of just being on there for a certain amount of time, you could say, hey, I want to make sure that I'm putting out consistently 250 watts for the extent of my session. Um, uh, at least the one at at the planet fitness that I go to, they have it on there. And I think it's super helpful that way. Yep. So I like to track actually calories. So that's one of the things, um, while I was training for my shows, um, I might start out, my coach might have me starting out saying do 30 minutes of cardio, but by the time that I'm finished and leading into my show date, it's, I need to burn a certain amount of calories. Got it. Um, and there's many different fitness gadgets that you can use to do it. Personally, I find I just want to use the machine that I'm on. Okay. Um, and you know, you can kind of set your weight and things like that. Um, to kind of help it track a little closer. Um, but that's, so you use the watts, I use the calories to kind of burn that way as well. So well 300 calories is a great, 
great starting a point. good workout yeah roughly 30 minutes maybe a little bit mm-hmm. more um yep. if, if you're pushing yourself well enough yeah it's funny i i do there is this particular calorie number it, for whatever reason 294 because I, I do a 20 oh. minute session Okay. Um, and I actually do high intensity interval training. Ah, you're um, pushing it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm doing a four minute warm up, um, just kind of easy pace, mm-hmm. uh, or even medium pace, and then at the four minute mark for thirty seconds, go hard, and then mm-hmm. from four thirty to to the six minute mark, it's back to that kind of moderate pace again, and then mm-hmm. I repeat it again six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen, sixteen, eighteen, and I'm done at the twenty minute mark. Um, and 294 is, is kind of the, the spot that I end up landing on or close to that pretty consistently, but during the hard intervals, because I know I'm going to get tired, right. And it'd be easy for me to kind of, uh, cave a little bit, not quite push as hard on the hard interval. So that's where the, the wattage, uh, meter, that power output meter helps me because it holds me at kind of a baseline. I, I know, Hey, I need to shoot for a minimum of 400 Watts output mm-hmm. on that hard interval. And that way I'm pushing myself hard enough because if you're going to do interval right. training, it's, it's interesting. Um, there have been, I think a number of studies actually over time that have shown the benefits of interval training where you can get comparable or even better, uh, not only cardio, cardiovascular, uh, but muscular results, hormonal benefit, even from doing shorter, higher intensity interval sessions versus mm, the cardio, yes. there are certain yeah. benefits there. And I, I love efficiency. So I'm like, yeah, heck yeah, I'm going to do the 20 minute session. I'm going to push myself. I'm going to get the results. And I usually do that now three, at least three to four times a week, um, is, is what I shoot for. But that, that makes a big difference. The other thing that I wanted to throw out there, and I'd love to get your take on this. Um, I love kettlebell swings. Um, Mm. and it's the cool thing about kettlebell swings for anybody who doesn't know what a kettlebell is. It's basically a big weight with a, a loop of a handle. And, um, right now I'm doing swings with 70 pound kettlebells, but you can do, you know, you could start with something like a 35 pound kettlebell, Mm -hmm. for example. And if you do, if you're able to even get to 50 swings nonstop, the cardiovascular workout that you get from that, in addition to the core uh, building and lower body, uh, muscular uh, building. It's, it is just an amazing, amazing workout. You can do it. I mean, 50 swings would take you all of, you know, three, four minutes. Right. Uh, and if that's literally all you could do in a day, it would be in a, and it'd be a killer, killer workout. Yeah. The power output in that is, it's extremely, um, it's extremely good. Um, I think for that type of workout, you're, you're right. The, the power, I mean, it, it takes a certain amount of power, but then you'll relatively quickly, you'll start to feel that heart rate build up. Right. And, um, and you can walk away with, you know, a, a, again, just a good all around workout. If you've got a limited amount of time, let's say you only have five minutes. If you could get in ideally like two sets of 50 swings or again, to your point earlier, Jamenda, starting basic, do you know, 10 couple sets of 10 swings or 20 swings a piece, uh, and then gradually build up in weight as well and get to a place where you can do, you know, a couple of sets of 50, maybe even get yep. to the place where you can do a hundred and you only have five or 10 minutes in a day to get to work out. And if you do that, it, if and you do it consistently, incredible. I cannot recommend it enough. Make sure that you get your form right and you, you can find examples on YouTube and such, but, uh, highly recommend that for, for cardio as well. Yeah, definitely effective. Definitely. All right. So I want to, to our, kind of our last, um, couple of talking points here. I want to talk about diet, uh, and, and supplementation and, and primarily diet because that's, I think, and by the way, when I say diet for everybody listening in, I think in our culture, we've used diet, uh, in such a way that we automatically think I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not eating these things, uh, and, but I'm eating these things and it's for a certain amount of time in order to lose a certain amount of weight. And then I go back to quote normal. What I'm talking about when I say diet is simply the way that we eat. And of course, what I'm shooting for, and I'd recommend everybody else shoot for is a consistent style of eating for the sake of long-term health. 
um, and certainly to meet whatever goals you might have uh, for your health. In that regard, uh, Jamenda, I'm, I'm curious what you would consider are the most important dietary principles, certainly those that have made the big, biggest difference in your life and in your athletic efforts. Um, I think so for me, I have, I have a couple. Um, the first one is the idea of like snacking versus meals. Um, I think especially as we get older, you know, we have the snacks around the house. They're just there. We have our meals that we're going to eat and we kind of do both in tandem. Um, so I've really tried to get away from having, you know, snacks in my house, whether it's yeah. um, the sweet stuff, but even sometimes like we have the rice cakes and the nuts, which are healthy, but there's still snacks that I'm kind of eating in between my meals. Sure. Um, so I've tried to adopt more so sticking to um, my three meals a day that I'm going to have. Um, and if I know I'm going to be doing, you know, have more energy output that day if I'm going to the gym or I know I'm going to be doing um, shooting a wedding that day or something like that. Um, I may have a smaller snack in between, but really just trying not to allow myself to mindlessly snack throughout the day. Um, so that's really big for me. That's good. Yeah. When you have that stuff easily accessible, especially the stuff that it, we all know is not good for us. And and right. I, I would say largely these days anyway, it, it's that that food that has high carbohydrate content. Um, mm-hmm. And it, that's, mm-hmm. it's a, I'm, I'm simplifying to be clear, but Right. As a general rule, uh, if we leave that stuff around, it's easily accessible and we can go to it. We're in trouble. And so yeah. I'm, I'm right with you, Jamenda. I, I tend to leave that stuff out of the house. I, I don't mm-hmm. go buy it at the grocery store, whatever to have in the house during the week. I, I allow and maybe we can talk about this, too, but I allow myself yeah. um, one day where. Uh, I, c- I can have some of those foods and I, I take yeah. in more calories. And on that day, yeah. I'll actually go and, and buy something or maybe we'll make something. Actually, tomorrow, um, my, my daughter's talking about making a, a, a chocolate-covered uh, raspberry cheesecake. Oh, that sounds amazing. Right? <laughs> um, so so we, we'll allow for that. But otherwise, like we'll, we'll probably have that tomorrow. Maybe there's a little bit left Sunday. Maybe my son takes it back to college with him. Who knows? Yeah. But that's not going to sit around during the week because I know it's a temptation for me. Um, exactly. So I, I think that's a great recommendation. Yep. And so that, and that's exactly what I do. So I don't have my snacks in the house, but I do allow myself if I'm out, we want to get ice cream or something like that. I can have those treats outside of the home. Okay. Okay. So that's kind of how I keep that balance. So that I cool. think me, me adopting it that way has allowed that balance yeah. so that I'm not just, you know, consistently, um, you know, constricting myself. Yeah. Because going to, as much as you and I enjoy extremes, going to extremes, particularly when it comes to, to diet, it, it tends to have this kind of rubber band effect, right? Like right. we, we go and go and we're awesome. We're doing great. And then, oh, yep. we, we rebound from that. And, and exactly. then we go hard the other way and <laughs> kind of screw yep, ourselves yep, over. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about that balance. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Okay. All right. So snacking versus meals, focus on healthy meals. Uh, what's the next big idea? Um, so for me personally, again, going back to knowing your body. So I know for me, uh, my body is optimized and just works better on a lower carb diet. You kind of mentioned it earlier. Sure. Um, so I know my body is just sensitive to it. The carbs will just sit on me. Um, so I'm very cautious to, you know, I can't have carbs with every meal. So it might be, I may have the oatmeal in the morning. Um, I may do um, a carb for lunch, you know, along with my protein and veggies, because I pretty much have that consistently throughout the day. Um, and then for dinner, I may take that carb out. Yeah. Or if I know, you know, it's been a week where I've been doing the most and having a little bit more um, carbs with all of my meals that next week I'm coming in and I may take that carb out for lunch so that I only have it during um, that breakfast meal. Um, so just once again, being aware to how my body works, knowing that I'm very carb sensitive and kind of playing with where I put that in. 
um, in, in terms of my meals. That's really good too. And, and, and it can take a little bit of time, but I think being intentional about it, I, I mean, I personally, yes. and I'd love to get your take on this, but I personally use um, an app called MyFitnessPal. And mm-hmm. I've, I've been using it for years to, to track calories. I personally, and I know it's not for everybody, but I personally function really well within structure. So when I see, mm-hmm. when I have a certain calorie goal and a macro goal, and I can see those numbers, I function well within that. So I mm-hmm. found that helpful. But the cool thing about tracking calories is I become highly aware of what I'm eating. Um, yes. And I can certainly see an effect. And yeah. I, it, it's interesting because it really can vary from person to person. I actually grew up in Japan and we ate a good bit of rice because of it. Mm. And mm-hmm. my body actually processes rice beautifully. Like I can go have oh. um, sushi, for example, and I'm not going to get bloated as a result um, because mm-hmm. my body just processes it. I'm, I'm wondering if it's because I, you know, I, I adapted to it, basically, having grown yeah. up eating lots of rice. So it, those things are going to vary from person to person, right. experimenting with and, then, and yeah. then tracking the results, even if it's just jotting a note down or you know, getting yep. Evernote out or whatever it is figuring out what works best. It's super helpful. I've actually transitioned recently to, um, I've, I've eaten a pretty a relatively high fat diet, um, you know, nuts, like you were talking about an avocado, mm-hmm. olives and eggs and, and these kinds of things for some time. But I've, I've recently upped that a little bit as far as the mm-hmm. ratios and my body's responding so, so well to it. Oh, that's um, awesome. So experimenting, seeing what works, what doesn't work, making adjustments, a huge deal. One thing I want to throw out, and, and, and like everything else we're talking about, would love your take on this, Jamenda, but um, I would encourage anybody listening in that if you are going to have carbohydrates of, of some kind, uh, or at least a heavy dose of them anyway, do so post-workout. So if, if mm-hmm. you're going to have some ice cream that day, you're going to have some pie, you're going to have cookies, whatever it is. Um, awesome. But, but do so after you go put in a a pretty good workout. And the reason for that, your instant, your insulin sensitivity pops up and your body's able to process the incoming carbohydrates a little bit more effectively. The reality is most of us, because, you know, we're photography business owners, we're sitting in front of a computer Mm -hmm. on our phone all day and our body is, is primed or not primed really to take in all this excess carbohydrate. It's not using it uh, as effectively for energy. And then we pile more on top of it. And we're, again, we're, we're messing ourselves up. So if you're going to take in a, a good bit, make sure of, of carbohydrate, make sure you get out, get a, get a really good workout in uh, yes. on a day that you're going to take in those carbs. Yep. Give your body something to do with those carbs that you put in it. Yeah. That's the way I look at it. <laughs> and, and you put it way more eloquently. That's brilliant. Okay. <laughs> all right. So, so focus on healthy meals versus snacking. Number mm-hmm. two, be aware of what works well for your body. I think that's really, really important. Um, and what take us to the next point. Um, cheat meals. So you alluded to it earlier. Yeah. Um, but going back to that balance again, um, I think I learned more than anything else while I was bodybuilding. You stay in that deficit. You stay restricted, you know, leading up to your show. Um, and then after the show, you, like you said, you kind of rubber band and you're like, I can have all the things <laughs> right now I'm going to eat. And and so I yeah. did that. And yeah. so then I had to come back to a place of being like, I can't eat like this all the time. You put all that work in. Now let's find that balance. So on the weekends, I do allow myself that grace to go and, and have the pizza, the ice cream, the things that I like, um, knowing that I'm going to put that work back in. Now, if I know that I haven't been working on as consistently or something, you know, has messed my schedule up, so I'm not in that same flow, I may restrict the types and ways that I have that cheat meal. So it may be a cheat day, a cheat meal, or just a cheat thing that I have. So there's different ways to kind of think about in that space. Yeah. Um, But just kind of giving yourself that grace to have that little something um, to kind of keep you going so you don't always feel so restricted. Yeah. Yes. That's that's great. You summed it up beautifully. I I think... um, 
one of the things I've been kind of guilty of is is on my so-called cheat day, just going like full ham crazy and really un- mm-hmm. to an unhealthy extent. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and so having some kind of balance, for what I've realized uh, as of late, having made some changes to, to the way that I'm eating uh, on a regular basis, uh, what I found is a midweek kind of uh, refeed to borrow a, a, mm-hmm. um, a workout or a bodybuilding term where I'm eating a bit of extra calories, uh, and, mm-hmm. and certainly not necessarily like quote bad calories, not, not just piling carbs, but just having some extra calories midweek because I'm, I'm keeping myself super lean, uh, for the majority of the week, having a little bit of extra calories on, on the midweek, mm-hmm. uh, is a nice way to balance myself out. And then on my cheat day used to be Sunday. Now I've, I've changed it to Saturday because I'm playing soccer on Sunday. And I certainly don't want to be super heavy or eating a, like a really heavy meal late in the day on Sunday. So Saturday becomes that day. I can I can go a little crazy on on Saturday, but that's a kind of a good way to balance it out through the week, and it's yeah. not just one day. Do you follow yeah. the the Rock on Instagram at all? Um, I might. I feel like his posts may have gotten lost in my timeline. Okay, sure, sure. Um, but yeah. Well, the reason I ask is he he has these brilliant. I mean, we all know how Jack the Rock is, but. Um, he, he does these cheat meals and just mm-hmm. like goes, You're insane. it's great. Like piles of, of sushi and then like a stack of a plate of cookies with peanut butter and all this. I mean, it's, it's hilarious and I love it all at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's really great to watch people do that. I cannot, if I have that day, I need to be in the gym the next three days straight doing all the cardio, you know, <laughs> to try and burn that off. So I yeah. am completely envious of people who can, who can take in that much. But I think, over time, because he's gotten his body up to a certain extent, his yep. metabolism just knows what to do with it. Yep. So he's so lucky. <laughs> All right. So, so cheat meals. What, what's the next big idea or principle? Um, I think the other part is hydration. So um, yes. being very aware of um, how much water I'm taking a day um, and just staying on top of that on a consistent basis hmm. is really huge, especially after I've had those cheat meals, having that water there to kind of flush my system out yeah. um, it is really important. Um, and then just in general, hydration, people really take for granted, I think, how much water you need per day. Um, I know when I'm training for a show, I'm getting in maybe a gallon. Um, if I'm not training for a show, I try to get in at least um, you know, a half gallon, at least four to six, if it's just you know the regular bottles of water. Um, I'm trying to get that in throughout the day just to make sure I'm keeping my system flushed and staying hydrated um, and I'm supporting my, my overall health. So so I'm really curious about this because I literally, I, this is again how much of a nerd I am about this stuff, but not very long ago, I actually searched on Google uh, a, a couple of times, um, something to the effect of why do bodybuilders drink so much water? Because like, mm-hmm. you, you'll go to the gym and, and you'll yeah. see them literally with yeah. the gallon jugs. Yeah. I, I guess at a super, super basic level, I understand the significance of hydration. If for no other reason, yeah. then, then it, it, to your point, it helps keep our body flushed, our digestive system yeah. running. Um, outside of that, though, what is the significance of so much water, especially in the context of, of kind of building muscle? Yeah. So for, it's funny you mentioned that, the bodybuilders and their jugs. Um, the other reason they do that is there's a couple different types of um, practices that people use leading into their bodybuilding shows mm. to help their bodies look more conditioned, more ripped, more more muscular in a okay, sense. Okay. Um, so one of those is water loading leading up to a show. Ah. Um, and so you have, you're intaking all this water, um, maybe a week before your show, you start decreasing that amount. Um, and what it does is your body, um, first off, putting that much water in your body, your body is going to feel attacked in a sense. It's going to go into protective mode. And it's going to start flushing it out. Okay. 
if you've done that over, say, you know, a month or two period of time where you're constantly overloading it with that water, once you start taking it away in that small, short span of time, the body hasn't realized that. So it's going to continue to flush out the uh-huh. liquids. Yep. Leading into your show day, you're going to look more ripped. You're going to look more, um, unfortunately, dehydrated, um, but it's going to give you a better looking physique once you step on stage. Because you're just dropping all that water weight. Exactly. Interesting. Exactly. Okay. Yep. All right. So that's one of the little tricks that they use to kind of um, get up there as they're prepping for shows and stuff. But outside of that, though, I mean, would you say digestion, strong function of the musculature? I mean, are there, are there yeah. any other particular benefits to drinking so much water? Yeah. So flexibility is another thing. So that water helps to kind of keep those joints. Uh, I don't want to use the word lubricated, but essentially lubricated okay, um, okay. as you're you know, trying to make sure that you're you know, able to lift. Having that water there is just um, really important um, to that overall you know, uh, routine that you're doing. All right. Okay. So hydration is, is the fourth big idea. Take us to the, to the last one here. And then the last one I would think um, is just to kind of give yourself grace when you fall off okay? because it happens. Sure. Um, and I think that's so easy. Um, it's so easy for us to just say, I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. I, I've fallen so far. Um, but to just, hey, I'm going to take the next step at a time. And what can I do to kind of get better as I'm kind of on this journey to eat better and healthier? That's good. So I think more than... Mm-hmm. No, yeah. that's good. And I honestly, I think I, it's something I need to do a better job of too, because yeah. I'm pretty hard on myself. But I, the other thing though, I, what do you think about, because um, where I would, I guess where I would push back in this regard is I, I would also want to encourage our listeners and, and I would want myself to do this. And I, and I do this, I work at doing this to understand why it is that I quote fell off, right? Like if, if I, mm-hmm. if I go, for example, if, I mean, food, um, binging, particularly on, on high sugar foods has, has been an issue for me in the past. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the question for me is, okay, what is, what is it that I am, why is the underlying reason right. or what is the underlying reason? And more specifically the psychological reason or reasons yeah. for my behavior, which is mm-hmm. obviously, trying to compensate for something, right? I, I, I right. want the, um, I want the, those, those feel good hormones to kick in as right. a result of this sugar. Cause I know it's going to feel good. And I get this immediate gratification. There, there are a number of things going on there, but what is the psychology underlying that? Why am I doing that thing? Because right. I, I get falling off for everyone once in a while, but if we see that yeah. becomes a cycle, whether it's, you know, yeah. once a week or once a month, I would wonder why and continuing to repeat that and quote, just giving ourselves grace in that rather than kind of getting to the root of the issue, I think might be a bit problematic. What do you think about that? So I think, and that's, I mentioned the book, the power of habit earlier. Yeah. Um, And I think that's why that book constantly comes up for me because I find myself in those loops where I'm like, I I just want the sugar. That's all I want. And I keep going back to that, but it it helps me then to again, be aware of if, is there something triggering why I'm doing this. Is it just that it's in the house? Okay. Um, is it that, you know, I am not getting enough food, period? You know, do I need to make some other adjustment in my lifestyle and my routine so that I'm not just going for the easy thing or going for the sugar? But, but you know, to your point, what is it that's triggering that? And then how can I um, set up, I want to say that the safeguards to keep me from doing that? What do I need to do to then get back on track? Um, and that's where that power of habit book kind of comes up and okay. it comes back to mind for me. Um, when it, when I start thinking about how to break that habit and break that, that falling off routine that I've kind of gotten into. Okay, good. 
Good, good stuff. Um, before we go, and, and you've been super gracious because uh, speaking of grace, you've, we've, this is a longer interview than normal, but I, it's been oh. so, <laughs> this has been so practical and actionable and tangible and helpful because, you know, while yes, we all need to learn to use our camera better or, you know, take care of workflow and this kind of stuff, it, our health at the end of the day, it literally affects every single bit of our life, including our photography right. business. So I'm, I'm so glad that we get to spend some time on this. Um, the last thing, supplementation. Mm-hmm. I know that, you know, there are a million different possible supplements that we could go out there and take. And, and if we've ever started exploring that, then we'll likely start to see ads for this thing and that thing. Yeah. Where, where do you recommend just at a very base level, anyone goes when it comes to supplementation, if at all? Yeah. Um, so I think for me, I try to keep it pretty simple when I'm in off season, right? So um, the multivitamin, keeping it there yeah. um, as one of the first things. Um, I do fish oil just to help with um, blood flow and things like that. So yeah. that's a really big one for me. Um, right now we know we're in the middle of a pandemic. So anything additional that I can do to, mm. um, help my immune system, whether that's vitamin C, um, or, um, what is the other one? I want to say blackberry, the elderberry Okay, is another great one. Um, just for the times that we're living in. Um, and then if you are doing any type of, you know, extreme, extreme activity or, you know, lifting that type of thing, um, a glutamine or something to help with recovery. Okay, um, is a is a really big um, one that I'd say to add into that as well. Um, and then the, the other thing to think about when you are choosing your supplements or thinking about them is to make sure that you're choosing one that has like the least amount of ingredients on the back. And that's something that I was told from like a vitamin shop employee. Sure. But you want the ones that have like the purest form of the supplement that you're trying to take versus the ones that are encapsulated in other things. And your body's having to break down all that extra stuff to get to what you want. You want to be able to put the purest form of it in your body. So just another little tip there. Yeah, that's that's a tough one, right? Because I mean, mm-hmm. there are there are so many different. I mean, this, this holds to true certainly with with food, especially packaged food. Uh, I guess I should specify, but mm-hmm. but also when it comes to supplementation. Um, I mean, even if you look at <laughs> you go to Walmart for example, and and look at the the vitamin aisle, the multivitamin aisle, and especially getting the kids stuff, um, and these you know gummy vitamins and this kind of thing, right. the amount of sugar. Yes. That you can find yep. in your yep. <laughs> in your vitamins is yeah. mind blowing. Like this yeah. isn't supposed to be candy, right? And in fact, you're trying to, I thought, counteract you know the the potential harmful effects of whatever you might have run into in your existence as a human being. Not taking more of it in. So uh, there's some certainly some irony there. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I personally currently use uh, Thorn multivitamins. It's spelled T H O R N E. Uh, dot com. It, it seems, and you know, of course, there's only so much we can know, but it seems at the end of the day, um, based on what I've seen, heard, uh, read, that that Thorn is a reputable company as far as the efficacy, uh, their processes when it comes to developing this uh, this vitamin. And so, awesome. if, if if I was going to recommend one to anyone, uh, especially a multivitamin, because you're you're taking in a broad kind of spectrum right. of supplements all at once. That yeah. would be the one that I would I would recommend. The other thing too that I'd recommend, and I don't know if have you ever done this, Jamenda, where where you go get a a detailed blood panel that goes beyond just like the mm. basic physical, but a blood panel that yeah. gives you kind of all the, the the important biomarkers. Yep. So I, I've never done that before, but I definitely think it's helpful. Once again, just in the vein of knowing your body, knowing what you're deficient of and what you need, I, I definitely recommend it as well. So I think that's a good point. Yeah, it's it's something that made a really big. It was eye opening for me, and this happened a number of years ago when I first had it done. Uh, but I, I went to an office outside of Atlanta, actually, and had 
super detailed. I mean, we're talking like seven, eight pages long, the, the, the information that I got back. But it, it, to take us back to our original point of conversation here before I close, it, it, it allowed me to, to treat my body objectively uh, or to mm-hmm. make decisions objectively mm-hmm. about my body where I could say, hey, I'm, I'm legitimately deficient, for example, in vitamin D. Um, right. yep. uh, or I'm low in B12. And so it makes more sense to intentionally, you know, target supplement, if you will, to take right. extra of this particular supplement or that particular supplement for the sake of compensating for an obvious shortcoming. And then right. to be able to go back later on and test again, or to, to test on a regular basis to make sure mm-hmm. that you're, you're keeping those numbers where they need to be is really, really important. I, I can't recommend enough for all our listeners don't let this just become a feelings based thing because you'll you'll end up likely going down the wrong path in many cases right. use the data <laughs> you know we yep. sh- we should do yeah. so certainly as business owners like we were talking about yep. but it's important to do that as well when it comes to to proactively taking care of ourselves taking care of our health um that's that's really really important so my suggestion to to those of you listening in would be to to find a resource that would enable you to be able to go get those tests done and you know i was it's funny i was actually yeah here it is okay i was trying to pull up a resource or at least suggest one in this regard if you go to wellness fx the letters fx wellnessfx.com uh, i will say this is pricey there are other ways you can get this done that won't be as expensive uh, this was a less complicated recommendation to make but if you go to wellnessfx.com uh, there is a resource there that you can take advantage of which is a a very user-friendly way to get blood work done to look at the the look at certain biomarkers have a baseline know what it is that you need to work on um, that would be something that I'd, I'd highly recommend. Now, I, to be clear, I haven't personally used that particular service, but when I'm looking for certain markers, it's, it's there aren't a lot of solutions like this, uh, or at least mm-hmm. obvious solutions out there. Uh, this yeah. seems to be one of the, the best options. So whether it's that or something comparable, for those of you listening in, go check it out, um, and this might help you in your road to health. Uh, in addition to all the wonderful information, Jamena, you've shared today. And, and I, I, again, thank you for being so gracious, staying on a little bit extra time and, and oh, no helping all of us out with this information. Will you remind our listeners one more time uh, where they can find you online and follow what you're doing? Yeah. So my um, Instagram, Facebook, um, and website are all jgraced with the D photography. Um, so you can find me on all those platforms currently. Perfect. And we'll put all this in the show notes, including the very many talking points from today's show (laughs) at bocapodcast.com. Or if you're using a podcast app that has the show notes, of course, you can take advantage of those there as well. Thanks once again, Jimena. This has been super fun. Oh, no problem. Thank you so much, Nathan. Thanks so much, photographers, for listening to the Boca Podcast. Will you let us know what you thought of the show by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is Nathan at BocaPodcast.com. Make sure to visit our sponsors, PhotographersEdit.com, custom photo editing for the professional photographer, and Milu.com, that's M-I-I-L-U.com, the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing.